Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, Loma Linda. Listen on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM. We consider ourselves a guilty pleasure. The Mitch and Kathy Show. Every Tuesday, 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Or 3 to 5 p.m. Pack time on 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, or kcaaradio.com. This is Scientific American's 60 Second Science. I'm Jason Goldman. Over millions of years, penguins have evolved a keen sense of where to find food. Once they're old enough, they set off from the shores on which they hatched for the first time and swim long distances in search of tasty fish like anchovies and sardines. But they don't search directly for the fish themselves. For example, when young endangered African penguins head out to sea, they look for areas with low surface temperatures and high chlorophyll, because those conditions signal the presence of phytoplankton. And lots of phytoplankton means lots of zooplankton, which in turn means lots of their favorite fish. Well, that's what it used to mean. Climate change plus overfishing have made the penguin feeding grounds a mirage. The habitat is indeed plankton-rich, but now it's fish-poor. Researchers call this kind of scenario an ecological trap. It's a situation where you have a signal that previously pointed an animal towards good quality habitat. The habitat's been changed usually by rapidly induced human pressure, so um, usually anthropogenic change. And the signal stays but the underlying quality and environment deteriorates. University of Exeter zoologist Richard Shirley. He and his team used satellite imaging to track the dispersal of 54 recently fledged African penguins from eight sites along southern Africa. Historically, the birds benefited from tons of fish along the coasts of Angola, Namibia, and western South Africa. But now they're going hungry. I was really hoping we'd see them going east and finding the areas where the fish have shifted to. So I was quite surprised to be wrong and unfortunately quite sad to be wrong in this case because it ends up being quite a a sad story for the penguins. The researchers calculate that by falling into this ecological trap, African penguin populations on South Africa's Western Cape have declined by around 80%. The findings are in the journal Current Biology. Some research groups are exploring the idea of translocating chicks to a place where they can't get trapped, like the Eastern Cape but Shirley thinks that a longer-term solution means implementing regulations to create more sustainable fisheries, something that he says has public support. And as for the penguins? They're not necessarily yet in an extinction vortex. Yeah, it's not hopeless yet. (laughs) But time flies, unlike penguins. 
Thanks for listening. For Scientific American's 60 Second Science, I'm Jason Goldman. Tune in to the Commission and CX2 Hour every Wednesday night from 8 to 9 for your favorite old school jams and to find out what's happening locally. Check us out on the radio at 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, or online at kcaaradio.com. You can also listen in by calling 832-999-1050. Moms and dads, do you remember the fun you had going to the theater when you were a kid and watching great movies? I haven't had anything like it since I was a kid. You can share those moments and movies with your family. Well, then why didn't you say so? Using the new Spider app. Available for both your Apple and Android devices. It's a free download. I'd be a fool not to at that price. Treat your family to great entertainment. That's S-P-Y-D-A-R. Spider. Do it now. The Mortgage Voice is Jeff Barton, your mortgage advocate here on KCAA. Jeff informs you of the ever-changing mortgage industry. Mortgage loans can be confusing and overwhelming, but Jeff and his guests will help you understand the difference in various loans and help you own or keep your home. Trust is the major issue here, right? If someone doesn't trust you with their most intimate financial details and secrets, uh, it's going to be very hard for them to do a loan. Tune into The Mortgage Voice every Saturday afternoon at 3 and Sunday at noon here on KCAA. 1050 AM and 106.5 FM. Psst. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Do you know where you are? Well, you've done it now. You're listening to KCAA Loma Linda, your CNBC news station. So expect the unexpected. KCAA Radio now joins the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Pastor David McNary. You have a Bible with you today. Turn with me, if you will, please, to the second book of Corinthians, chapter 6. 2 Corinthians, chapter 6, please. Our scripture today, and we're going to go through chapter 7, verse 1. And so our scripture today, in verses 14 through 7, 1, is very serious. It's a very solemn word from the Lord. The single word title of the message is found in 7.1. It is simply the word holiness. Holiness. Now, I want you to take a look at that because I want you to see what we're going to say today because I want you to know that when he talks about holiness, he's talking about you and me, okay? Now, I know that's going to make us all a little uncomfortable, because that word holy or holiness is a frightening thought to Christians. And the reason is because we equate that word holy or holiness with sinless perfection. And yet we know that there is none righteous, no, not one. I know for a fact, I wish we had time for everybody else to stand up and testify, but I know for a fact that I'm not perfect. One of the reasons we don't like to be reminded about the Lord's instruction, and by the way, this is not the preacher's idea, okay? This is the Lord's idea. This is what He says to us. But we don't like to be reminded about the Lord's instruction concerning personal holiness because of the anything you want, the do anything you want kind of culture that we live in, okay? Anything goes, it seems like, in our culture today. 
And since this is not a very popular subject for us to deal with, I'm just going to take you to a whole bunch of Scriptures because I want you to see that this idea, this is not something that was conceived in my mind. This idea, this thought of holiness, we're, we're to be perfect even as our Father in Heaven is perfect. Is Those are the words of Jesus. And, and we're to be conformed to the image of Christ. Those are the words of our God to us. And so there is a matter of holiness that needs to be clearly understood on our part. Now the word holy, I want us to first understand about the word holy because the word holy comes from the Greek word hagios and it means to be set apart, it means to be dedicated, it means to be separate or separated. Now, what one thing that we need to understand, if, if something is separated from something, that it is separated to something. Okay, you go from to. And so the idea here today, and in this case, we want to understand that we are to be separated from the world and its evil desires and separated unto the Lord and unto all that is good and righteous. Just like we talked to children about this morning, the things that are supposed to be in our minds and in our hearts are those things that are good, that are righteous, that are valuable, that are worthwhile and that are praiseworthy. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul wrote, If any man be in Christ, now are you a Christian today? You see, think about that. If you're a Christian today, it says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. In other words, you can't call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, trust Him as your personal Savior, and go on living life as usual. A change takes place. There is a transformation which takes place which makes us brand new. Now I want you to notice what he says in our Scripture beginning in chapter 6 and verse 14. It's interesting the way he begins this. He says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? And what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate. There it is. Saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. He's talking about activity here. He's talking about a contrast here, and we're going to see those contrasts. But I want you to notice, and just all we got is two points. All we got is two points today to this message, and they are what we dealt with earlier, what we said something about earlier. First, he says, we are to be separated from, we are to be separated from evil. Found in verses 14 and 15 and 17. He introduces the first part, and I think it's interesting, with a statement about not being unequally yoked. About not being unequally yoked. And he took this thought, this thought actually comes from the Old Testament laws from the book of Deuteronomy. And there, there is a warning not to plow with an ox and a mule in the same yoke. They're not to be harnessed together and work together. 
Does anybody know why? Because it won't work. Because it won't work. They don't understand each other. They don't communicate with each other except to balk, okay? It won't work. The commentator says the idea is that there are certain things which are fundamentally incompatible. (laughs) Remember those words. Fundamentally incompatible. They were never meant to be brought together. It is impossible for the purity of the Christian and the pollution of the pagan to run in double harness. That's why he says, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Whenever I talk to young couples about getting married, I always talk to them the first and the most important thing that I talk to them about is their relationship with Christ. Because honestly, if one of them is a Christian and the other one's not, I'm not going to do their marriage. I don't want to put them in a position and I explain it to them from this very verse of Scripture. I explain it to them. If one's a Christian and the other one's not, you're putting together people in a partnership that won't get along. They won't get along. Somebody has to compromise and usually the person who's not a believer in Christ is the one who expects their Christian partner to compromise and go with them and do things that they wouldn't normally do because or as, because of their Christian faith. And so we need to understand that even according to God's Word, any partnership, any kind of a partnership between a believer and an unbeliever is risky business. I've watched many businesses fail fail, literally fail, because the partners were not both believers in Christ. Now, they can be both unbelievers. They can both be unbelievers. But when one is a believer and the other one is a non-believer, then there's always going to be friction. There's always going to be, well, you know, this. The, the, we can do whatever we want to do. We don't have to live by this. But the Christian is always expected to compromise his or her convictions Due to a difference in moral, ethical value, they just don't, they don't, they won't get along because they don't have the same value system. Now I want you to notice that he shows us some contrasts here. He shows us some contrasts here. First of all, he contrasts righteousness with unrighteousness and he says they're incompatible. Righteousness and unrighteousness are incompatible. Psalms 1 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. You see, we're just too different. What he's saying to us is that we have to protect ourselves. We have to protect ourselves. We don't ever need to be going places where sinners do their sinning. And I realize that there's a lot of folks say, well, wait a minute, preacher. Don't we need to go and witness to them? Yeah, we need to go and witness to them, but we don't need to go witness to them in the places where they're involved in their sinning. For instance, it would be foolish for us to go to a bar to try to witness to somebody who's drunk. Believe me, I know, I've tried that. Not at a bar, but whenever I was in Vietnam, when I was in the service, there was a couple of guys and they got all tanked up and then they came and they started whining and crying because I don't know what was going on in their lives. And I talked to them, witnessed to them, shared with them. They both prayed to receive Christ. And the next night they were back over there getting drunk again. You see, it didn't make any difference. There was no change in their life. Why? Because they didn't know what they were doing. But what he says is that we need to be careful not to be involved with people while they're involved in their drinking and and, and sinning and carrying on whatever it is they're doing. 
The second thing he says is that it is impossible for light and darkness. Now, it's important for us to understand this because darkness is always attributed to the devil and his side in the world, while light is always attributed to God. And so he's talking about the darkness of evil and the light of righteousness or the light of God. And it's impossible for light and darkness to inhabit the same space at the same time. Jesus said, and it's found over in John chapter 3, just past that famous verse that everybody knows, and this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Now listen, a Christian, a believer who's living for the Lord, doesn't mind other people seeing him serving the Lord. We don't mind. Now sometimes it brings on persecution or mocking or whatever, but, but we don't mind being seen living for the Lord. But you know what? Those who are involved in evil activities, when does most evil activity take place? After dark, doesn't it? People do their evil deeds at night in the dark. Listen, I want to tell you something. There's just too big a difference for us to be involved. We're, we're making a case that we're to be separated from evil. The third thing he says is that there can be no harmony between Christ and Belial. There can be no harmony between Christ and the devil. Listen, if you want to put your life in turmoil, try to serve them both. You want to put your life in turmoil, try to serve them both. Try to call yourself a Christian and, and live for the devil. You see, there's a lot of people that do that. That's what's wrong with so many people today. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He said, you cannot serve God and mammon. Now, in, the, in that scripture, that word mammon literally, literally means money, but that money part of it then would be attributed to the, to the world. Folks, I want to tell you something. There can be no joy. There can be no peace. There can be no harmony if you're trying to do both. If you're trying to, trying to serve the Lord and letting the devil control your activities and your actions and so on and so forth. Then the fourth thing he talks about there is the contrast between a believer and an unbeliever. He said, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Now he's talking about an unbeliever. He's talking about somebody who does not believe in Jesus Christ. The question I would ask about that is where is the common ground? Where is the common ground? Now, every man wants to marry a Christian woman because he believes she'll be true to him and be faithful to him. There's a lot of businesses that want to hire Christian people because they know that they have high standards. They know that they'll work hard. Amen. That they'll work hard and that they'll do right by what they're doing. But there's no, there's no common ground because expectations arise that would cause that person to have to do something they wouldn't normally do. And the fifth thing is, is contrast the temple of God with idols. Well, you can't get any further apart than that. The temple of God with idols. Hear the words of the Lord. The Lord said, I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. 
Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. God said he's jealous. He's jealous over his glory. He's jealous over who he is, the fact that he is God, the one and only God. While people, mankind, humans, try to produce idols, little gods, that keep them from worshiping and honoring and serving the one and only true God. And folks, I want to tell you something. Some have tried it. Some of the kings of Israel and some of the kings of the different nations, you read about it in the Old Testament, they tried it. You know, they want to go into the temple of the Lord and and worship idols and make sacrifices to idols. It didn't turn out well for them. The result was death and devastation. And even when the people of God, even when the children of Israel go out and, and start serving the Baals, God would bring judgment on His own people. Folks, I want to tell you something. He's not against doing that. Sin has to be judged. He would not be a just God if He didn't judge sin. And so He can bring judgment even upon people who call themselves Christians. Sometimes we get we're in the wrong place at the wrong time. We get caught in the middle because He's judging someone else and we're with them. And I think maybe that's a good possibility. That's what's been happening in the United States of America. And I pray that it changes day after tomorrow. In March of 1982, the church that I pastored in Lorraine, Texas, <clears throat> participated in what was called a simultaneous revival meetings or simultaneous revival services all of the different churches in the area were having revival at the same time. We had an evangelist coming to our church and different, different uh, church head evangelists coming to their church. But anyway, those who were in our area all got together at a restaurant in Snyder, Texas for a kickoff breakfast on the first morning. We went in and asked for a private room and I knew the restaurant had it, but they said, no, 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 we can't give you that private room because we may need... The overflow, we may have overflow out of this room in there. So you can go in there, but we're not going to, we're not going to shut the door so that you can have it all to yourselves. And okay, they, they weren't willing to accommodate. So when we arrived, we all went in, sat together in the back at one big table. And it wasn't very long before the hungry public began to arrive and they all came in and they looked around and they decided they wanted to sit back there close to where we were. They wanted to, come in the back room. They didn't want to sit out in the main dining room. And so they came in there where we were, which was okay with us. They came in. But a strange thing happened when we began our program. You see, when we prayed together, eyebrows were lifted. Now, if you can imagine this, if you can imagine going into a restaurant, going in and sitting down, and over the table there's about 15 preachers and evangelists and music guys sitting together. Now you imagine it. Get that picture in your mind. Well, let me just tell you that preachers are not known for being quiet. Every once in a while, I'll feel a touch on my shoulder. And my wife leans to my ear and she said, your voice carries. She doesn't shush me, but I probably need it. Your voice carries. Well, that's the way preachers are. Our voices carry I think it's a God thing. God intends for that to happen. So we began. We prayed together. and Their eyebrows were raised. When we began to sing, 
amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Some folks got up and left. Some of them just moved to the outer part there. But some of them got up and left. And then when we sang, when we've been there, 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God praise than when we first begun. The room emptied, except for one or two believers who enthusiastically joined in. Now, why was that? Why is it that those folks all left? It's because they were out of place. It's because they were uncomfortable in the presence of the Spirit of God. Some of those adults were protecting their children from Christian influence. That amazes me. Because everybody wants their children to act like Christians. I had a parent one time, a young man, prayed to receive Christ. He was 12, 13 years old. Prayed to receive Christ, and I went to his mother and and asked her about baptizing him, and she said no. And I said, you're not going to let him be baptized. He wants to be baptized as a symbol of his faith in Christ. She said no. And I said, okay, tell me, tell me why. She said, well, I want him to have an opportunity to grow up, and make up his own mind. I said, he already did. He wasn't coerced. He already did. He heard the gospel and he believed the message from the Word of God. Folks, those people left because they were out of place. Paul asked in this passage, what fellowship, what communion, what concord, what part, what agreement does the servant of God have with those who oppose God and His kingdom? You see, why is it we don't get along because we're not alike, we're not the same? After all, he says, ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be and they shall be my people. Amen and amen. So first he says we're to be separated from evil. Then he says we're to be separated unto God. Verse 16, verse 18, and verse 7, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. A while ago, we noted uh, the first verse of the first chapter of the book of Psalms. In Psalm 1-1, we talked about the man who is, who is blessed. Now, I want you to listen to some other verses in that first Psalm. In speaking about this blessed man, it says he has separated himself. Well, that's what we talked about. The fact that he had separated himself from the evils of this world, from sinners in their sin. And it says, listen, his delight, okay, away from sin, over to God. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law doth He meditate day and night. Now listen what it says about this man. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. You want to live a life that has value and meaning and purpose? Commit your life to God. Commit your life to the Word of God. Know and understand what He says. You'll be blessed and he says, whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Then he goes on to say this, the ungodly are not so. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. 
You see, separated from evil and separated unto God. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, Paul wrote, Present your bodies a living sacrifice, and there's that word that we've been looking for, holy, acceptable unto God. Now those, those, that phrase acceptable unto God is just explaining holy, okay? It's acceptable unto God. To be separated, to be separated unto God. James wrote, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Boy, listen, that's a scary thing to think about. If you stop to read and hear what he says, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Those are not my words. That's the word of the Lord. Over in the book of James. We're to be separated from that which is evil, separated from the world, separated from worldly desires, and separated under the service, under the service of Almighty God. So Paul warns us, Be ye not unequally yoked. Come out from among them. Be ye separate. Touch not the unclean thing, and cleanse yourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. He says that all of those things are working together to perfect holiness and it results in a fear of God. A fear of God. A fear of God. An awesome reverence towards God and a realization and a recognition that while He is just, He is also the just judge. Folks, truth be, there's just not enough room in our lives to accommodate the Lord of heaven and the Lord of this world at the same time. I read a quote-unquote fictional story about a woman who through the years had gained several pounds and inches. With her 25th high school reunion coming up, she hired a personal trainer. The day she began a diet and exercise program, the trainer had her stand in front of a mirror where he drew a silhouette of what she wanted to look like. A silhouette of what she wanted to look like. And each week, she would stand in front of the mirror. And for several weeks, she just didn't fit. But finally, one day, as she stood before the mirror, she conformed exactly to the image that was drawn. Now, I want to tell you something. Just looking at herself in the mirror didn't change that. That's the way we like to do it sometimes. You know, I... I go in and I look at the, look in the mirror and I think, boy, you know, I need to do something about this. And then I go back again a little bit later and say, well, it didn't work. <laughs> Just looking in the mirror doesn't change anything. It's not enough. You see, what was required for her to be changed, for her to become that person that, that she set out to want to be, okay? She was the one that decided that's what she wanted to look like. And so, in order to change required commitment. In order to change required daily hard work. And it required all of those things in order for her to ultimately and finally reach her goal. Folks, I want to tell you something. The same is true in our walk with Christ. We must be separated from evil and separated unto God. You see, holiness requires faith. Holiness requires commitment. Holiness requires submission to the will of Christ every single day. You have to want to be changed in order to be changed. Listen, these things are not things that just 
happen to you. You know, it's like me looking in the mirror. I look in here and I see me and I think it needs to change and I go back and I look again and it's not changed. Why? Because I didn't do anything in between there to make a difference. And folks, I think there's a lot of people today that say, well, wait a minute, I have faith in Jesus Christ, so I'm just going to trust Him to do whatever He wants to do to change me. Listen, faith is an active word. It's an active word. Believe in Jesus. Jesus didn't call on people just to believe in Him. He called on them to follow Him. Take action. And I want to tell you something. He didn't stay in one place very long. Follow me. He called on them to follow me. And folks, that's what we need to be doing. We have to believe in Him to receive Him as personal Savior and Lord. And then we have to set out to be who He wants us to be, to follow Him and to represent Him before the world here on the earth. Father, I thank You for this day. I thank You, Lord, for the Word of the Lord. I thank You, God, that You that you instruct us that we are to separate ourselves from that which is evil. That there needs to be a contrast between who we are and who we were. There needs to be a contrast between who we are in Christ and, and who other people are that don't have Christ. Father, there needs to be a a definite difference. There needs to be a difference that can be seen, that can be recognized, that can be realized. And Father, we know that God, as we do that, we can we can labor together with You and Father in order to perfect holiness in our lives. God, we know, we know that we've been set apart. Now help us, Father, to walk in our newfound faith so that we might show others that Jesus saves, that He's the one who makes a difference in our life. Now, Father, I thank You for every person here today. And God, there's no way I can know the needs of each and every person, but You do. And Father, I believe that within my that with my heart that, that God, there's somebody here today who doesn't know. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, Jesus is personal Lord and Savior, and I pray for that person. Don't know them by name yet. But God, I pray for that person that, Father, You, by the power of Your Spirit, would bring conviction in their lives. Help them to realize their need of, of, of believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. And Father, help them to make that commitment to a relationship with You today. And dear Father, I pray for Christians who haven't been walking with the Lord. They've stumbled along in life and wondered why things weren't going well. And dear God, I pray that You'd speak to their hearts. Help us to realize, Father, to be separated from evil, to be separated from the world, but we have to be separated under the service of God. And so, Father, help us to make commitments, new commitments, fresh commitments, Father, unto the Lord 
to serve you with all of our hearts. Now, Father, there may be other decisions that need to be made. God, just speak to us today. Help us to hear and help us, Father, to do uh, what you would call on us to do, each and every one personally. And Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. You are listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Pastor David McNary. First John chapter 3, please. First John chapter 3. I think it is too often that we take for granted the glorious doctrine which sets us apart from many other denominations. It's the doctrine of eternal security. Somehow we seem to overlook its importance in the teachings which make it real to our understanding. But here in 1 John chapter 3, we're going to look in verses 19 through 24 as the elder John gives us the test of assurance. In other words, how do you know that you're saved? You need to understand that once you're saved, you're always saved. God doesn't take that away from you. When you're born into the family of God, you're born into the family of God for eternity. For eternity. It is eternal security that we have. And here in 1 John 3, 19-24, John shows us the tests of assurance so that we can know how we can know that we're going to be saved. I want you to notice that it begins and ends this section with the words, Hereby we know. Look at that. Hereby we, K-N-O-W, we know, we know. Hereby we know, verse 19. You see, he wants us to understand that there is something that we can know for sure. He says, by examining certain evidence in our lives, we can be assured of the fact that we are of the truth. Of the truth. I think when writing this part of his letter, John's mind was alive with the memories of the words of Jesus that he had recorded in his gospel. Words like, John 8.32, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Listen, the only way you can be free is if you're in Jesus. If you're of the truth. John 14.6, Jesus says, Believe in me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He's the only way that any person can get back to God. The only way we can get to heaven. Or even as the words are recorded in John Chapter 18, verse 37, Jesus said, Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. The words he spoke to Pilate. In effect, then, folks, the word, the phrase of the truth becomes synonymous with the fact that a person is a person of faith, a believer in Jesus Christ. For to be of the truth is to know God through faith. Through faith. Now, it's possible, I think, that all of those memories, the memories that John has, and we know that that's what he was making reference to, the teachings that he had received, because he talks about the fact that he had the privilege over in 1 John chapter 1, that he had the privilege to be with Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to see Jesus with his own eyes, to hear him speak with his own ears, and to even to touch him, to shake his hand, and to have fellowship with him, to sit at his feet and listen to him. So he reminds us of that so we know that that's we know that that's true but it's those thoughts i think that caused him to write these words of encouragement and give to us the tests of assurance so i want you to notice the test we're going to begin in chapter 3 and verse 19 and hereby we know that we're of the truth 
and shall assure our hearts before Him. There's your word, assurance. We know it, we're of the truth, and we assure our hearts before Him. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. Look at that. That's a commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. And he that keepeth His commandments dwelleth in Him, and He in Him. And hereby we know, there it is again, hereby we know, we know that we dwell in Him, and hereby we know that He abideth in us by the Spirit which He hath given us. Okay, He gave us the Spirit so that when we receive Christ as personal Savior and Lord, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. He comes in to take up residence in our hearts, in our inner being. Now I want you to notice what he says here about these assurances of our heart. The first one he talks about, there's in verse 20, and it is the assurance of a troubled heart. The assurance of a troubled heart. One of the ways the Lord verifies our faith and brings assurance to our hearts is through conviction. Through conviction. Can't tell you how many times in in uh, the years of my Christian life that I've felt that conviction. It was a troubling thing in my heart. Now, why does God bring conviction? Well, because we're sinners. And you see, when we sin against God, He doesn't want us to be that way because we are selling Him short and we're selling ourselves short. And so when we sin against God, He brings conviction. I've told you this story before about before I was saved that I just dug in. You know what that means? I just dug in. I planted my feet. You dig in, you know, just like those football players do on the line. They dig in. And I dug in. I dug my old fingernails in the back of that pew. I bet that pew over North Side Baptist Church in Abilene, Texas, got still got my fingernail prints if it's still there. Because I dug in. I didn't want to move. But I was under conviction. Now, I didn't realize what it was at the time, but I was under conviction. I thought that somebody had been talking to the preacher and telling him about all the stuff that I'd done. That preacher had the longest index finger that I've ever seen. I sat on the back row. Sat back there with Miss Pat. I sat on the back row. You know what? He could reach me from the pulpit. I know that I felt the tip of his finger touching my nose every time he'd bring up something. I didn't know what that was. It was conviction. And listen, after you're saved, God continues to bring conviction in your heart and in your life when you sin against Him because He wants you to be right with Him. He wants to, he wants to be a blessing to you. You know, the most miserable person is in the world is a Christian who's out of fellowship with God. I mean, you're miserable when you're that way. And yet the bad thing is that you don't have to be that way. You don't have to be that way. So it's important for us to understand as Christians that this is an assurance of our faith whenever God brings conviction in your heart over sin. Now, if you're calling yourself a Christian and you sin against God and He doesn't bring conviction, then let me tell you something. You need to go back and check it out because that's the way God works in our lives. He brings conviction in our hearts so that we might 
know that we belong to Him. The writer of Hebrews says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of Him. For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom He receiveth. But if ye be without chastisement, then ye are not sons. You're not sons. You're not sons. You're not a child of God. If, if He doesn't deal with you, if He doesn't convict you, if He doesn't chastise you, because that's the way God works. The second thing that I want you to notice found in verse 21. Now, we just said we're talking about the assurance of a troubled heart. Now we're talking about the assurance of a tranquil heart. The assurance of a tranquil heart. Verse 21, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's he talking about? If our heart condemn us, verse 20, and then if our heart condemn us not, he says, then have we confidence towards God. If your heart does not condemn you. So we're talking about the assurance of a tranquil heart. John says that we have assurance because we have a heart which does not condemn us. <laughs> now, I know that that uh, seems like a direct contradiction, but, but it's not. And if, if you know God through faith in Christ, you'll understand this. You'll understand this. You see, there is a peace that comes to our hearts through faith. It's a peace that you can't take away. Even though you may not be living for the Lord, you can't take it away because you know that you know that you know that Jesus Christ has saved you. It wasn't based on what you did or did not do. It wasn't based on how good you were. And folks, I want you to know that you're a child of, when you're a child of God, you're a child of God forever. I remember a time in my life, I was in college, first two years of college, I was a Practically a brand new Christian. I was saved April the 16th of 1967. I left home and went to college in September of that year. And let's just say that I hadn't grown very much before I got to college. And let's just say that where I went to college, it wasn't really a place to grow and to understand and to know the Lord very well. And so I was out there. I had a really good friend that I had gone to school with and known whenever I was in elementary school. In fact, he and I went to school together in elementary school. And one time he came to me because he was observing me. He was watching the way I was living. And he said to me, he said, David, you need to get saved. Well, the way I was living, it looked like that's what I needed to do is get saved. And I told him, I said, no, I'm already saved. You see, I understood that when I trusted in Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, without the works of the law, without the deeds, that, that I was born into the family of God. And at that point, even though I was under conviction with a troubled heart, I had a tranquil heart. Because I knew that there wasn't anything that I could do that would cause me to lose my salvation. Now, that doesn't mean that God didn't chastise me. It doesn't mean that I didn't get a whooping from God regularly at that time in my life because I wasn't living for the Lord, but I had a tranquil heart. Now, folks, you need to have a tranquil heart. It's an interesting phenomenon, I think, that a saved person can have both an uncondemning and condemning heart at the same time even though we're suffering under the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit, and He's the one that does that. He's the one that brings that conviction. 
even though we're under the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit for the guilt of our sins, at the same time we can know that we're not finally and ultimately condemned because it's not based on what I do or don't do, have done or haven't done. It's based on what He did on the cross for me. The blood of Christ covers every sin. As a Christian, you're related to God as a child. It's through the new birth. But fellowship with the Father depends on your willingness to submit to Him, your willingness to be obedient to Him. Your willing, that's the reason He talks about His commandments. The first commandment, yes, is that we believe in, his, in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. Then He goes on to say, and love one another as He gave us commandment. As who did? Jesus did. He gave us that commandment to love God and then to love one another. And so we submit unto the will of the Lord. Paul wrote, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Do what? The law of Jesus, believing in Jesus, sets us free from the law of sin and death. It's once and forever. The third thing that I want you to notice he talks about is the assurance of a transformed heart. The assurance of a transformed heart. Verse 22, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things which are pleasing in His sight. See that? Because we're saved, then we're going to do what God tells us to do. We're going to do the things that He likes, that He wants us to do. We don't want to disappoint God. And He says this is the commandment that we should, what? Believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. He gave His commandment. That's doing what He has instructed us to do. And He that keepeth His commandments, listen, dwelleth in Him. It's a way to know that you dwell in Him. In other words, if you call yourself a Christian and you do what God tells you to do, it verifies that faith. It is an assurance to you of what God has done in your heart and in your life. Romans 12.2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be like you were. Don't be like the world is. Be different as God transforms you and your mind through faith. Listen, sometimes the Lord delivers us from evil in a miraculous way, and sometimes we have to take courage to just stand up for what's right and to stand up against what is evil rather than doing what is easy or popular. The easy popular stuff is not going to get you where you need to be, folks. Young people, watch out. It'll be popular. It'll be what your friends are doing. It'll be what they want you to do. And they'll try to convince you. But it's not the right thing unless it's what God says that you're supposed to do. What is right is best because what is right is the will of Almighty God. So do what's right because it's right until it feels right. That's one of those things that I heard a long time ago that just kind of sticks with you, you know. Number four, we have not only the assurance of a troubled heart, we have the assurance of a tranquil heart, the assurance of a transformed heart, and finally, here in this verse 24, is the assurance of a temperate heart. Now, I use the word temperate here to talk about being under self-control. Now, 
We talk about temperate. We talk about self-control when in reality it's not what we need is self-control because our self fails us. But it's not that anyway because it's spirit control. We're to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 24 says, And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. He's called the earnest of the Spirit in another place in the Scripture. The earnest of the Spirit. He is our down payment. He is the one who helps us know. Now the Spirit of God is the one that brings conviction. We talked about that a while ago. The Spirit of God is also the one that gives you assurance for a tranquil heart, the thing that you know that is real in your life. The Spirit of God is the one who gives you assurance through a transformed heart because He's the one who leads you away from sin and leads you towards God and the will and the purpose and the plan of God for your life. It's a heart under the control of the Holy Spirit. You know, as we allow the Lord to bring all our worldly selfish desires under control, it is assurance to us as to the reality as to the reality of our faith. Now, when you stop and think about faith, you wonder, say, well, now how am I going to know? How, how is there, where is the reality in faith? After all, it's kind of an abstract. Well, it's not because what happens is when you know that you have faith, when you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, He's going to move you towards being the person you need to be. If any man be in Christ, He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. The old life, the old lifestyle is passed away. And behold, he says, all things are become new. The Holy Spirit validates our faith in our minds and in our hearts. In a day when everyone with whom you come in contact may question your faith, everyone, they'll question your, they'll question your faith, whether they're believers or not, they'll question your faith. It's important for you to know the tests of assurance. So John tells us first the assurance of a troubled heart. Understanding and knowing that when you sin, conviction comes. If conviction doesn't come, go back to the beginning. Go back to the matter of faith and believe and trust in Jesus. It's also the assurance of a tranquil heart, knowing that even when you sin, that you're still saved. You're still born in the family of God. You haven't been, maybe, maybe you haven't been a good child. That's all right, because he'll take care of that. Then there's the assurance of a transformed heart, seeing that you are different than you were before. There needs to be a difference. And then there's the assurance of a temperate heart, a heart under the control of the Holy Spirit. Someone asked Luther, do you feel that you have been forgiven? He answered, no, but I'm as sure as there is a God in heaven. For feelings come and feelings go, and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the Word of God, naught else is worth believing. Though all my heart should feel condemned for want of some sweet token, there's one greater than my heart whose word cannot be broken. I'll trust in God's unchanging Word till soul and body sever, for though all things shall pass away, his word shall stand forever. Listen, trust the word of God. He tells you that you can know that you're a child of God. There's evidence, and the evidence is real. 
You can know that you're a child of God, and once you know that you're a child of God, it, you can never lose what God has given. It is the gift of God. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 and verse 15 through 17, Ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. As a believer in Christ, you are as eternally secure as is the eternity of God's Word. Because God doesn't change, you see. What he said to them, he says to us. And he says that if we believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are saved. And if you're saved, you're saved now. You're saved now and forever. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Our Father, we're grateful today for the word of God, for the truth that you give us. Father, we're grateful today for saving faith. We're grateful today, Father, for the sacrifice of Your Son because, Lord, we know that it would not be possible for us to be saved without Him being sacrificed. You knew that and You offered Him. You were willing. You loved us that much that You were willing to offer Him a sacrifice and payment for our sins. God, we, we are grateful beyond understanding because we can't comprehend the kind of love that you've shown to us. Sinners, enemies of God. And yet you loved us. And you loved us right into your family through faith. Now, Father, I pray that you'll help us to have the assurance. Help us to understand. Remind us, Father, regularly of eternal security. Of this truth and this reality from the Word of God. That we might know that one day when we depart this earth, we'll go directly into the presence of Almighty God to live forever and ever and ever. Father, speak to hearts today. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today who does not have this assurance, that God today would be the day that they would give themselves to God and allow you to reveal to them and in them the truth of eternal security. Now, Lord, speak to our hearts. Save the lost. Reclaim those who have wandered away, Father. I pray you'll do your work today in this place, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Pastor David McNary. A podcast of the service is available on demand at the KCAA website at www.kcaaradio.com. To listen to the service at any time, go to the KCAA Sunday schedule and click the podcast link under the image of Pastor McNary. The Pruitt Baptist Church is located at 9908 State Highway 110 in Van, Texas. The Sunday worship schedule includes Bible study at 9.45 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and evening worship at 6 p.m. For more information about the Pruitt Baptist Church, visit their website at www.pruittbaptistchurch.com or call 903-963-7473. Bob Vila here with my home improvement tip of the day. If you're planning to cut plywood, here are a few points to keep in mind. 
cutting plywood usually creates a splintered edge on one side of the sheet. That's no big deal if your project requires only one side of the sheet to be splinter-free. Which side the splinters will be on depends on the type of saw you're using to make the cut. Generally speaking, radial arm saws and table saws produce splinters on the top side of the sheet, while saber saws and circular saws splinter the wood on the bottom. If your choice of tools is a muscle-powered handsaw, expect splinters on the top. But what if you need both sides of the sheet to be free of splinters? Your best bet is to use the sharpest, stiffest knife you can find to make deep scores on both sides of the wood along the lines of the intended cuts. As always, with power tools, make sure you don protective glasses and gloves before you start your cuts. Get more info at BobVila.com and right here at home with me, Bob Vila. If you don't know what it's all about, Dr. Jolly will tell you on What's It All About, Wednesday afternoons at 3 on KCAA 1050 AM. K-C-A-A. Are you still trying to spray away your embarrassing bathroom odors? Now you can vent them away through your toilet as they occur with the MG Toilet Odor Venting System by Manderley Gate. There are no filters, sprays, or batteries to ever buy or replace. Let MG equip your toilet and never worry about embarrassing bathroom odors again. Go to MGEquip.com or call 1-800-542-9616. Again, MGEquip.com or call 1-800-542-9616. MGEquip.com or call 1-800-542-9616. What a great gift idea. About buying a home or maybe just refinancing, let the mortgage voice Jeff Barton guide you. And I think if people get the expectation going into the process, there's less likely to be freaking out at the end about what's happening. The Mortgage Voice, Saturday at 3 p.m. and Sundays at noon here on KCAA 1050 AM and 106.5 FM. KCAA Loma Linda, where you can always listen by phone. Just call 701-801-4444. This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. Unless you're a college student or recent graduate, you may not have heard the term study drugs, prescription pills that supposedly help students perform better. Do they work? Students certainly believe that it works, that it does help them to study longer, to study more effectively. If you look objectively at what their GPA is, they tend to do worse. Then, what's the best way to keep juvenile delinquents from making more trouble? One expert says the answer isn't jail. If you want to focus on kids who are involved in the juvenile justice system, what we don't see are many states that are actually measuring results. And that's clearly a direction that government needs to go. Those two stories and much more are coming your way on this week's edition of InfoTrack. Stay with us. The show begins right after this. Allergies. Pollen in the air. Dogs in the house. Mold in the basement. 
Whatever triggers your allergy symptoms, it can really hold you back. Break through with Allegra 5-in-1 Relief. Allegra works fast, won't make you drowsy, provides 24-hour multi-symptom relief, and it's effective every day. Break through allergies with Allegra. Starts working in one hour, use only as directed. Guaranteed or your money back. Visit Allegra.com. As a 300-foot-tall dino monster, people think all I'm good at is rampaging. But there's more to me than that. Just like Geico. Yeah, they could save you money, but they also have over 75 years of savings and service. So Geico is super good at insurance. And yeah, I like rampaging. But I'm also a huge fan of opera. Geico. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. In .3 miles, continue straight. Recalculating. Turn left. Recalculating. In half a mile. Hey, GPS, pipe down, will you? When a tire lasts as long as a Firestone Champion tire, there's no such thing as a wrong turn. With a 70,000-mile limited treadwear warranty, you can go wherever you want. Whatever you drive, drive a Firestone. Certain limitations and restrictions apply. Ask a Firestone retailer for details. Actual mileage may vary. This morning you're up early. Because you're at the DMV So many people, it takes so much time Do you have the right form? Are you in the right line? Your number E42 Right after C23 This is confusing When your morning is hell Just go to Taco Bell When you've had a morning, let us make you breakfast Like Taco Bell's Breakfast Crunch Wrap A whole breakfast wrapped up and grilled to eat on the go At participating stores for a limited time during breakfast hours InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Unless you're a student, you may not have heard much about so-called study drugs used to boost concentration when preparing for an upcoming test or term paper. Here to discuss this is Dr. David Rabiner, who is research professor and associate dean at Duke University. Welcome to the show. Thank you. First of all, what drugs are we generally talking about here? Are these prescription drugs? Generally, certainly among college students, the most commonly used drugs in terms of cognitive enhancement for study purposes would be medications that are used to treat attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And those are generally stimulant medications, commonly known medications are things like Adderall, Concerta, Ritalin, Mm -hmm. Vyvanse. So those are the, the medications that we mostly be speaking about. How widespread is their use on campuses? It's really impossible to answer with a general statement because the use varies quite a bit across different campuses. In the literature, I've seen rates as high as a third of the students or so reporting non-medical use. But certainly at some campuses, it is not uncommon. Does it work? And are the students who take these drugs being helped by taking them? That is a question to which I think there is also no hard data. In a study that we did here on the campus at Duke, as well as with students at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, what we found is that students certainly believe that it works in the sense that they report that it does help them to study longer, to study more effectively, 
to remain more alert while they're studying. So the students report that it's helpful for them. Now, whether it works in the sense that using these drugs that you don't have a prescription for actually results in your earning better grades, doing better on an exam, writing a better paper. To my knowledge, there is just no data on that whatsoever. So the closest thing we've got is data